The Dental Download Podcast is your source for insight into dental school, conversations with dentists, specialists, and leaders in the industry. With new episodes every Monday morning, I'm your host, Haley Schultz. Let's get into this week's episode. Okay, hi everyone. We have another guest here today. And Shivani, could you just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about where you're at with dental school and maybe get started on walking us through your pre-dental experience a little. Yeah, sure. So hi, I'm Shivani. Um, I go by Shivs. Um, I am a third year at Temple Dental in Philadelphia. I'm originally from Dallas, Texas, and I'm so happy to be here. So a little bit about me is um, I graduated college from Southern Methodist in Texas in three years and then decided to do one year of a post-bac at Temple, which is where I'm at currently, um, and then decided to do dental school from there. And so I am traditional in the capacity of how many years, four and four, but not traditional in the fact where it didn't look like four years of undergrad and four years of dental school. So how did that work with the three years of undergrad? Did you come in with a lot of credits or did you just take a lot all at once? I did a lot of, I had a lot of college credit coming in um, from high school and I didn't really, I knew I wanted to be in healthcare always. I didn't really know what that looked like until I got into college and was encouraged to just start shadowing. And so any pre-dental out there or pre-healthcare out there just try to put yourself in the profession that you're going through's shoes the most. So shadowing made the biggest difference for me. Um, I shadowed a dentist, an optometrist, and um, an OBGYN. And the one that I was most excited about that I caught myself asking questions about was a dentist. And I don't really have family in the dental field. I have family who are doctors, but no one who's a dentist. So I just really was kind of surprising myself And then I had the option to do a fourth year of college or do something more dental targeted, like a post-baccalaureate program at a dental school. And I opted into doing that program just because I thought I really want to be sure before I commit four years more of my life into something that is a very, very serious profession and something that you do commit a lot of energy and time into once you get in. Yeah, I know of Temple and Tufts have Postbacks tied to their dental schools. Are there any other programs that you looked at? And then how did you ultimately end up with Temple? Yeah. So um, I actually, the first time I applied, um, I didn't get in. And so Temple's post-baccalaureate program is a really, really interesting program where it takes kids who maybe has one thing missing from their application. So for me, that was dental experience. I had the GPA, I had the DAT score quote unquote, like most, I was meeting national averages, um, more than happy to share my stats. Um, but I didn't have dental experience. I, and I also was fairly young. I applied to dental school when I was 20, um, the first time around. So whenever I called schools and was like, Hey, why have I not gotten in? I'm meeting your averages. I have research. A lot of it was you're too young and you don't really have a lot of dental experience. So once I did Temple's post-baccalaureate program. And the reason that I chose Temple's, um, having gotten into other dental targeted or reapplication targeted postbacs, is 
Temples is very, very clinically based. They have the postbacs assisting in clinics. They have you learning tooth anatomy. You're taught by the same professors that you would be learning from whenever you get go into dental school. And I like to say it was my biggest blessing in disguise because our first year of dental school, both you and I shared this was COVID. And I already knew 30 something of my classmates going in. And so that was ended up being such a huge blessing was I decided to go to Temple for dental school and then COVID hit in March before our dental school. And so our D1 year looked completely different than I think anyone's D1 year will ever look. And it was such a blessing because I had a study group. I didn't have to worry about making friends in a time where I didn't get to know my classmates. I already walked in with people. So that was the reason I ended up choosing Temple um, was they have a great clinical reputation and they, and then COVID played a factor because I was very grateful to not have to worry about feeling lonely and making a study group and sharing notes. I already had all of those things. And was Temple's program kind of a contingency thing? Like if you do well in our post back, you have a spot in the DDS or DMD class. Yeah. So my year, and I'm not sure if the stats have changed, it was a three, five and a 20. So kind of mimicking the national stats. Um, I had a 23 going in on the DAT. Like I said, I'm very pretty comfortable sharing my stats. Um, so the, I didn't have to retake the DAT. They were good with that. Um, and then the three, five, you just had to maintain through the post-baccalaureate program, which I'm, I, I'm honestly thought that the post-bac program was pretty difficult. So I like to say I got to step ladder my stay way into dental school because obviously college is hard, but dental school is a whole other beast. Um, the post-bac program was definitely harder than college, but not as hard as dental school. So it was nice because I got to kind of like peek into what a little bit more traditional dental school would be like. Um, and then also one of the classes that we took, we literally have a very similar class D one year. So that was great because it was the same professor. And then also like as a first year, I remember feeling so sad for some of my first years because they just throw you into tooth anatomy and you're expected to understand like mesial, distal, buckle, all of these things where you, if you didn't really, really shadow or have a great dentist trying to explain you everything while you shadowed, you don't know how many like roots a tooth has or what the incisal edge is and things like that. We had tooth anatomy all throughout the post back. Um, so by the time that I was a D1, I could count teeth in my sleep. I knew the tooth anatomy in my sleep. So I just felt a lot more prepared for dental school. And I think people who are looking at gap years, even if you don't quote unquote need, need to like, you just want to take a gap year because you think you need a break. I would definitely like at least look into those tooth anatomies. That's any pre-dental who reaches out to me. I always say just like in your time off, like just start learning how to count teeth. Cause it's the way we count teeth in America is not, is not a like straightforward way to count teeth. Yeah. And I'm curious, I, the couple people I know that did these post-bac programs prior to dental school, they were offered the program when they were rejected from the dental school during an application, can you apply just to the program without applying to dental school? Um, I think temples, you have to apply to the dental school. I was that they don't reject you because we did 
have one kid who interviewed with us who later got into Temple, like just the dental school. Um, so I think that they like don't, it's the first round of interviews for us. It's getting earlier and earlier every year though, because I feel like this dental school has just gotten more and more competitive to get into. Um, you can, and that's the thing is I had, I want to say like, oh God, I can't remember my exact college GPA, but I had around a three, five and 23 college. And I was pretty involved, had research under my belt and literally just one thing and they won't accept you. And then sometimes it's a lot of different factors. And so it's one of those things where it's becoming more and more competitive every year. So I think temples you have to apply to. I think I interviewed around end of February. So, but I know that's getting earlier just because dental schools are becoming like their classes are getting full earlier. Um, it's a lot harder and harder to get off the wait list. More and more people are just like, yep, I'm going. Um, so I'm not sure what that looks like now, but it's one of those things where um, I had known about the program. I had a friend who actually is now practicing in Texas from Texas who went to Temple and a lot of her class who had done really well what went through the postback. And that was another thing that I noticed is in at Temple and in my personal experience, um, our class president for two years was one of my classmates. He's now currently the student body vice president. I'm on board for two different clubs. Like a lot of the postbacks, um, because we were so comfortable and had gotten our footing a little bit better, we were able to launch ourselves into leadership positions a little bit more easily. Um, so just, yeah, like it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like if you haven't planned to take a gap year, um, the idea of a gap year can seem like such a failure and people forget to see the positive around it that you do end up a little bit like in this type of program, I ended up a little bit more short, sure-footed. Um, at the same time, if you're more of a traditional student, they've also, they also do extremely well. It's just one of those things where I feel like more and more people getting into dental school are second time applicants. And so it's one of those things where it's easy to feel defeated in the moment and not realize that it's just part of a trajectory and part of your journey and that there's pros to that. So what would you say to a pre-dent that is looking at their application as a whole and they're just really nervous? How can they evaluate if I actually have something lacking and I'm not that competitive versus I'm just nervous because this is a daunting process? So I was kind of in those same shoes. So that's an interesting question because I, I was in a very similar boat a couple years ago. Um, I think just having faith in yourself is all you can do. And it sounds kind of crazy, but look at the averages, like obviously do the numbers, like look at the averages of the schools that you're applying to apply to the safety schools that you think that you won't, that you think that you'll get into, but then also realize that this process is a little bit of, and excuse my language, a shitstorm, um, and the capacity where sometimes, and I have friends, like sometimes more qualified people will get in sometimes less quote unquote, statistically qualified people will get in. Like the admissions committee does look at you holistically. And so somewhere that you may consider a safety school may not accept you because they think that you're going to get in somewhere else. And then all of a sudden, boom, you slip through the cracks. And so that's one of those things that happens consistently every single year. So I think, look at your application, be aware of what schools you're applying to get the other dental, like people who are at the school 
to kind of glance over your application if you can to see if they feel like you'd be a good fit and then go ahead and apply but also make peace with the fact that whatever school that you're applying to the volume of applicants has increased so just also i'm a big realist where the second that i submitted my application i had a list of postback programs in the entire country like pulled up next to me because it was one of those things where it's like the texas dental schools also are just like a really competitive batch of dental schools to get into um and so i was like i'm gonna have a backup plan so have a backup plan have something that you're going to be happy with doing for that year and for me i knew that for me that would be like a postback program to help get myself in the next year if you feel like you have done everything that you possibly can and you're still not getting in reach out i did to the admissions counselors at different schools once the application cycle is over and please wait until the application cycle is over because they're so stressed out as well um i actually just talked to someone who works on admissions um at temple and they're so stressed out as well during the december january february time that over reaching out to them is not going to work in your favor as much as you think it's going to it's actually probably going to make them go why is this person calling me 14 times a day um i understand that you're nervous but have faith that you've done everything that you can in the first time and if you don't then around march or april end of february march and april is when i told people to kind of start reaching out to those admissions counselors so you can change what you need to change in order to prepare for May June and then be off the get go um submit your application as early as you can being first in the door is never going to look bad um that's something that I didn't do I waited until mid July the first time I applied and I was talking to some people and that was considered quote unquote a little bit late so trying to get your application out the door is great if you have to submit your dat resubmit it later that's fine but get your foot in the door so they can kind of get to know you mhm that's all really good advice and i meant to ask you um next i'd love to talk about like the dental school adjustment pre clinic yeah. and then clinic but i meant to ask you when you first started talking when you were between being a physician, maybe optometrist, dental, what caught your eye about dentistry and kind of now that you're in school and you're learning more about it, what are you thinking the scope of your career is going to look like? So, I think the thing that caught my eye about dentistry the most was and you're going to see this and you saw this and you heard this with my practicality in terms of applications and how I went about it is I'm a pretty practical person. Um I loved the fact that dentistry was hands-on which is something that I really really wanted. It has a great work-life balance. I want to own my own business and my own practice and dentistry allows you to do that. Um at the same time I grew up really creative. Um as well as sciency I had done a lot of like art and pottery um and so it was really cool. I never knew until dentistry and until I saw dentists at work that like there is this art in the science and people forget how much of what we do is artistic like being able to design a prep mentally being able to visualize how a crown looks visualize how a denture looks there is an artistry to dentistry that people overlook a lot and i that was the first thing i saw was the second i saw someone do a prep i was like the idea of being able to take a three dimensional structure look at it two dimensionally figure out where the decay is remove that and then sculpt it back up to look like a tooth i was like well this is just art 
we're just calling it science. Um, and then I love the long-term growth. Like a lot of these patients would come back to the same dentist for a while. So it was really cool to see that you could do surgical complex procedures as a dentist, but still have your own business, but still be participating in these patients, like holistic part of life. And then also I like the fact that we get to make people happy. Like you, your patients, if you treat them well, which fortunately the dentist I shadowed had a huge impact on me. Um, they leave your office smiling and happy. Like you can make someone who's scared of the dentist or who hasn't had a great dental experience. Like we're in a really great time period for dentistry because I feel like the nineties and the two thousands people were scared of dentists. And now we get to kind of change the perception of what a dentist looks like to this new generation and to our parents' generation who's kind of had these awkward dental experiences. And we're also at a time where dentistry and the field in its technology is exploding with implants and us figuring out more of aesthetics on top of function. I just really wanted to be a part of that movement where we get to be a part of this like growth in dentistry. It's no longer just healthcare. It's like how we improve people's quality of life. And based on that, it's a lot of things I like about dentistry too. It sounds like you probably want to be a general dentist from all the things you're excited about and the relationships with patients. Yeah. So I was open. I was told to be open. I'm sure you were open when you went into dentistry, dental school about specializing. Um, Do they have y'all shadow like all of the, or rotate into all of the specialty clinics as well? Yeah, we get experience with all of them and we can compare and contrast uh, how clinic and stuff works in a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. So I got to rotate around, realized being a general dentist is where I want to go. Um, I'm particularly really interested in the field of cosmetic dentistry, which is under general dentistry. So I think that would be really fun to kind of cater myself more towards that type of office in the future. Yeah, for sure. So transitioning into talking about our dental school experiences, I know we're both third years. We both started during COVID times (laughs) and mostly at home, all that. Every school is a little different, but I think the biggest thing that's hard to adjust to when you're starting dental school is all this didactic work, but also trying to gain preclinical skills. So what advice do you have for like a first year student that's struggling with managing it or getting things together in sim lab? I think consistency um, is the biggest factor. There are people and it's so easy to one year to get really, really down on yourself because there are people who are going to go into sim lab and they're just tapped They're going to do their first box up and it's going to come out perfect. Okay. That's the 1% of people. People need to remember that. Um, and I guarantee you, if that person doesn't practice, you'll beat them um, in the capacity where consistency beats it. There's a really great book um, where Malcolm Gladwell is the author. And he says, it's called The Outliers. And he says, it's the theory of 10,000 hours. And my friends and I, we sat down like the first day of dental school and we calculated how many hours, 10,000 hours looks like, how many years does it look like? And I think it was something like five or six years. And it's like, it takes 10,000 hours to achieve mastery at something. And so the more you practice is the more that you will succeed in dental school. So in preclinic, I remember my first wax up was the worst grade I got. Um, I was shocked. I had a full blown meltdown. And then I just practiced. I stayed true to the process. I was in sim lab um, as much as I could. I tried to balance my didactic and my hand skills. 
Um, we had designated times to be there again because of COVID after hours kind of looked different for us. But I remember for waxing, I would have my little hand out torch at home and like put on TV and just kind of be practicing waxing during my breaks. And I got better. And it was cool because our pre-clinic allows you to retake one practical. And I retook my very first one. Um, and what used to take me three hours to wax up a canine, I did in an hour and a half and got like a high A on that. And it was just so gratifying to see, like you can see the process, the growth in your work. And you that kind of continues through clinic as the first time you're doing a prep in a tooth, on a tooth, in someone's mouth, you feel so overwhelmed. And after the fifth or sixth prep, you're like, oh, okay, like this is standard now. And so it's one of those things where it's like trust in your hand skills, trust in yourself, but also have the discipline to practice. Yeah, I agree. Practice is everything. And that leads into one of the things I have found to be the biggest difference and challenge with clinic is that your practice is out of your control. Oh, yeah. can't do this many preps on number 15, this many times in a real mouth, because it just depends what patients show up, what they need. Every tooth and every caries cavity is going to look different and lead you into a different kind of prep. So I find that's the toughest part about clinic is like, if I could do this, even in a real mouth a hundred times, whenever I get to that point, I'm going to feel so competent, but because you're doing something pretty much the first time, every time, even if it's the same tooth and it's going to be oh, yeah. MOD, it's still different every time. And the radiograph doesn't always tell you exactly where the carries are going to go. And it can be look easy and become really hard. So every single time just feels like a new challenge, which is exciting. And there's always lots to learn, but it's frustrating a lot of the times too, because you can't just keep practicing and get better at it because there's too many uncontrollables in the situation. Oh, I completely relate to that sentence for clinic. I think my very first like tooth that I had to prep, I was doing an IAN. Like I had to do an inferior alveolar nerve block. And I was sitting there and I was like, as you know, we shared this. That's not the easiest injection to give and to make sure that you hurt. And I was like sitting there and I had to like, I grabbed a fourth year and I literally was like, I need you to like be in this. I need you to just like suction. I need someone in this operatory with me. So just so I feel a little more sane. And they like, luckily we, this fourth year in question, sweetheart, he stayed in there with me the whole time and it went well. And I got the decay out. We ended up having to temporize it because she needs a root canal. Like it was really, really deep decay. Um, but I was sitting there and I remember afterwards, like after she left, I literally was, went under like full blown, like I just sat in the operatory and he like cleaned everything for me because I was just sitting there and I was like, oh my goodness, that prep was so massive. And we you don't practice that in preclinic, but yeah, she needs a root canal and I had to do, a, I'm doing a core buildup on her. Like this tooth was gone. And I was sitting here like, what was that? And he was like, that happens. That's what decay looks like. Welcome to, welcome to dentistry. Um, and yeah, so preclinic prepares you in terms of like, you know how to move a burr um, and you get comfortable with hand positioning. And Please, to all the dental students out there, learn indirect vision, practice indirect vision. You will need to learn how to use that. The people's mouths don't dislocate like that. You have to, you have to learn. Um, but then, yeah, clinic just enjoys, I like to say, throwing you off the deep end and hoping that you learned how to swim in pre-clinic because otherwise 
you, I mean, you're still splashing around trying to tread water, keep your head up above it because I, I'm sure you've dealt with this where you wish that your first prep was just like a simple little occlusal and it never is. It's never just a class one. It's something like a DO or an MOD and some, and every professor, at least at our school, likes something different in terms of what burrs to use and what finishing burrs to use. And so you just always feel like you're learning in clinic. Um, and every single day is the challenge and every single day is new. Um, my first endo was on a molar, that same molar, which was a really intense tooth to start off with. Um, and it was a hot tooth. Um, a lot of my clinical experiences have been trial by fire where it's just been like, I prepared through just like scrolling through night, my notes the night before, and then just have faith in myself and the attending. I remember after that first prep, I was like, why can't I just do an occlusal? And they're like, that's not how this goes. Like, you're going to do what your patient needs. And I was like, okay. And then I just kind of was like, you know what? You know what you're doing. You know the logic behind it. And also there are so many attendings here. I stopped feeling stupid for asking questions because people, I don't think pride should have a place in clinic. Um, there are definitely kids who won't ask attendings for help. I'm not one of them. I, if I have the slightest of questions, if I feel like I'm too close to the pulpal floor, if I feel like I need to understand the difference between the base or the liner that we're putting in, I will go up to my attending and ask that question. Cause these are the last two years, unless you decide to do a GPR and AGD that you have this wealth of information for you in terms of the year above you, your classmates and your attendings all present in one area. The idea of looking stupid for me went out the door. Um, I want to say about two months into preclinic, I was like, I don't care if everyone thinks I'm stupid. This is a person that I'm doing this in. I want to make sure my quality of work reflects that. Um, and I like to think that even though I've given myself more of an aggressive curve, because now I'm grading myself on a higher curve, because a lot of these attendings now know that I want that quality of work, that they will like lay into me a little bit more but my work has been faster and more efficient and better as a result of it. Like I'm actually learning, even though yeah. it feels like I'm treading water at all points. <laughs> I'm sure you can relate to that. Yeah, I do. I'm interested to hear more about like your days in clinic, your weeks in clinic, how your school just handles everything. Cause I can give you a quick rundown of ours. Basically. Yeah. I'd love. That. Yeah. We are in between the third and fourth years, we're in four individual clinics where we're treating patients with their basic dental needs. And I'm always in the same clinic and a certain set of the chairs are the general dentistry. And we work with those faculty. One row of chairs is the prosthodontics. One row is perio. And if you need to work with prosthodontics, you have to request to be in a specific chair and those get filled up really fast and process a bunch of appointments. So it's kind of a headache to fit all your patients into your schedule each semester because of just the way that's structured. And then as third years, we can pre-schedule, like book out in advance four patients per week. And then if you have availability in the clinic, you can do two more patients if there is a spot, but only the day before can you request that. So maximum you're seeing six patients per week and we have an appointment in the morning and an appointment in the afternoon. So there's what is that then? 10 spots per week. And then there's one extra Thursday night. And we have class one of those sessions that we can't be in clinic. So if you're not in 
clinic, you're either on like a random rotation and the specialties or you're assisting a classmate. So they pretty much want you there eight to five, whether it's your patient or you're helping a classmate. And we have pretty high assisting requirements where we can assist any of the clinics, any of the third and fourth years. So that's kind of how it works, but it sounds like you guys get a bit more clinical experience than us. Yeah. So whether you want to call it the benefit or the detriment, because trust me, I oscillate between the two of those. Um, Temple has some, and I will say it the way, like some crazy high requirements in terms of like, that's what we're known for. Um, they enjoy like really like we're all, we're all already stressed about grad requirements. It's something like, I think this year's seniors was 26 units. Um, so you had to have 11 crowns. One of them had to do implant crowns. You have to do minimum of 11 arches of dentures as well. So that's a lot. Um, and then we have to do three root canals junior year or at least two root canals junior years to pass three to get an A um, 26, um, I think arches of SRPs by the time that you graduate. And these are all minimums. Like this is all for a C. Um, I know someone who's done 40 something, um, SRPs as a senior. So our requirements are a really fun time. I think I know someone in my year who's already pulled something like 70, 71 teeth at last count. He's a junior. So Temple's requirements are a lot like to get the A our year for a junior, you need to have pulled 50 something teeth. Um, so our requirements are a lot. Um, not everyone like meets the A's. Like that's just very frankly speaking, like most people don't. Um, they make it hard to get the A. That's what they like told us last year. Apparently um, a lot of seniors made the A's and they were like, okay, so we got to make you all work harder for it. Um, but the pro of that is, yeah, we do spend a lot of time in clinic. Our setup is similar, but different. So we have five sessions. Your, our group is, are broken up into A day and B day. And so B days days are Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday afternoon. Um, so we are expected to be there Tuesday morning, Thursday, Tuesday afternoon, Thursday, Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon. Our sessions are nine to 12, two to five um, in terms of when we see patients and then two to five on Fridays. You can bring five of your patients in on those days. If your patient cancels, you're still expected to be there in case there's an emergency patient um, and you might be called in to see an emergency. Um, the other 8A is Mondays, Wednesdays, and Friday mornings. Um, and let's say there's a certain number of chairs, but not every 8A needs a chair. Not every person has an emergency. Like we have those days. So you can request a patient to be seen. And if there's time, then you can see that patient. If there's enough chairs, if there's enough faculty. So similar to y'all, you can see that patient. But we're not limited on that. So for example, my patient canceled this morning, um, but I have a chair this afternoon on a Monday. I'm booked all day Wednesday and Friday morning. Um, so it's kind of like clinic kind of starts to be where you make it. It's great that we have a guaranteed five spots, but the only way that you're finishing the requirements that Temple puts on you is you're you're coming in there at least seven times a week. Like you are in your book seven sessions. Um, and then we also, so we have days called duty days, which is the day that you like aren't technically assigned to be in clinic. So like a Wednesday at the beginning of every semester, they'll send out what's called duty. And that'll be like a day in oral surgery, two days in pediatrics, um, one day in admissions. And like, they'll send out what our requirements are one day in emergency endo. And like, they'll send that out at the beginning. And those days you can't request any of your personal patients 
you go in and you see you are in that clinic, um, which is cool. Um, it's great because it's like we get to really experience all of those other cluster or other rotations. Um, some people really, really like oral surgery. And like I have friends who are trying to specialize in oral surgery and they'll spend a lot more of their time in the oral surgery clinic. And some of my friends are going pediatrics and they'll spend more time in the pediatric clinic um, on top of their duty days. They'll just kind of like try to cater themselves that way. So it's one of those things. And then we have classes from I'm on. We have classes from eight to nine. So right before and one to two. Um, most of our classes, they very luckily did not make it mandatory attendance for us this year. I think only one of our classes was um, just because sometimes if you have a really intense procedure at nine, you're setting your chair up at eight. So you can't really go to class. Um, however, like the professors are pretty accommodating of that. All of our lectures are recorded. Um, so yeah, it could be a day where we'll, where we'll have class from eight to nine, patient from nine to 12. You eat like lunch after you've cleaned your operatory in the 20 minutes that you have before class, one to two class again, and then two to five, another patient. And then obviously if you have like lab work or anything, you do that afterwards. Yeah, so, they're, they're long days. I agree. <laughs> they're long days. People don't tell you that third year is like a physical, like the first <laughs> years of dental school, I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm so stressed out all the time because of like class. Third year of dental school, people do not tell you that it is a physical toll on your body. Like it's less of a mental toll because when you're in there for three hours, a lot of that is like waiting in line for attendings to check your work. And it's not so much, um, like class stress, but three hours goes by and you get home and it's usually like five 30 or six o'clock. And then you have to study, you have to clean, you have to cook, you have to work out, you have to do everything else that's in your life, which looks a little bit different than if you were just studying because your body ends up tired from just sitting and standing and running around that. I remember after the first two months in preclinic, like my back was in pain and I literally had to go get like a massage because um, it's just a really intense, your body's not used to that type of um, stress that you're putting on it. It's a completely different type of stress. Yeah. And what you were saying about your requirements, it's like a night and day, how different it is from our oh, school. Our requirements are so low okay. and it's like, you need each procedure gets points for us. They're called clinical yep. education units and you need X amount total to graduate. And then each school year, D3 and D4, you have to do a certain number of procedures types graded and the full step, like they'll give you a grade and that would make your, if your grade for your crown and your grade for your removable arch makes your grade for clinic prosthodontics basically. But like all we have to do third year to be on track and graded is a crown, a arch of removable, some kind of perio and then a class two, a class one, an anterior, and then like a scan and like some treatment planning test case. So everything else that you do just like helps you get to your credits you need to graduate, which for us is 900 right now, which is like not that crazy. I mean, most people meet it or sometimes it's a little hard the last bit to meet it, but pretty much everyone's getting there. But what's I just think interesting is because we have our patients and for the most part, like your patients are your patients. They're not being distributed between you and the fourth year. They're not shared. You're not sharing yeah. amongst the clinic really, unless someone 
like has to do SRP and they don't have a patient that has it, then you'll let them use your patient for that, like one procedure. But what's really different, I think too, about our programs is that if my patient I'm doing a restoration and we're close to the pulp or we have like a pinpoint exposure, I just put a liner and I have to refer to endo. Or if it's a single canal, I have to give it to a fourth year and our fourth years graduate with one canal of endo and that's it. That is Okay. I did not know that. Um, Yeah. It's crazy. I will finish my second molar endo next week. So I don't know if that's a good thing or not that they're really bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know to do molars at all. Like no one would touch a molar. Maybe someone that's trying to go into endo that spends every waking moment that they're not with their own patients up in the endo clinic shadowing and helping. Maybe they'd let them help with a molar. Maybe but everyone's just doing like incisors or canine or something for their requirement. So I'm curious, do you wish you got more exposure just knowing how common root canals are in the yeah, day-to-day sure. world now? Yeah. yeah, we just like don't have control over it. Like you can push fourth year to like get to do your one at the school because some people yeah. don't even do one. Some of them just do a type it on and that gives them their check mark and that's like, it. <laughs> that's crazy. Our requirement for a junior year is you have to do one incisor and one multi-rooted tooth, but the incisor, if you do two multi-rooted teeth, like you're good. Um, so it's like the incisor, like, is like, in case you don't get two multi-rooted teeth, like they're fully expecting us to do like multi-rooted teeth as a junior. Like we're given a lot of supervision while we're doing these. Like my very first one was number 30, um, which was great. Cause like direct vision. Um, and I'm doing number three right now. Um, which is interesting because MB2 is like a fight. Like most upper molars have MB2 and just trying to figure that out where that was out was crazy. But we have the endo residents rotate in to undergrad endo. And so they're there on top of the attendings for us. So we're really, really like monitored. And I asked a question every five minutes in endo. I was like, am I doing this right? Am I placing this right? Am I holding this file correctly? But I got through it. Like my patient who I did number 30 on was back in January. Um, we're about to deliver her crown. Like she's doing great. Like that is done. Um, she did a great job and her tooth was a hot tooth. So that was even more of a fight the time that I was doing that. And then the patient that I'm doing number three on, um, the last step is, so we break up our endo appointments into access instrumentation and obturation. Um, so you usually see them three appointments for an endo. Um, and so her last step is going great, but she's not in pain anymore because we cleaned out that nerve, put temporized it, and we're going to fill it and get her her crown too. Um, but it's kind of crazy. I didn't realize, like I knew Temple's requirements were a little insanely high, but I didn't realize that other schools out there were not even exposing their students to that because that's something that I feel like, like, it's, I feel like you guys probably feel some type of way about referring everything considering nowadays no one's referring root canals unless they're like crazy complicated to an endodontist. Yeah. And it's tough because it's something I'll have to learn in the future. And that's when people are like considering Michigan or like, what are the pros? What are the cons? Should I go there? Especially if they're out of state, I make sure that they know, like you get really good at the very basics. Like you do a lot of drill and fill crown preps, cores, whatever, restoring implants, but you don't ever place implants. You don't yeah, we don't, you couldn't do an all on four. Like you can't 
do anything super advanced, even with pros, like you just work with a specialist and you can spend time with them. You can be there for the procedure. If you have the time, you can learn, but you're not doing it. And that's just kind of the facts of it. So I make sure people understand that. But since I'm from Michigan and is in state tuition, I'm saving so much money. Yeah. Okay. Once I graduate, I can try some procedures that I don't have that as much experience with, with yeah. some guidance and figure out what I like and then take CE and like be competent in it. But it's a shame that like you have to, I have to plan that I know I'm going to have to take CE because I'm not getting the full education that I would want. Yeah. I mean, the con of, I would say like the pro of Temple is, yeah, we get a lot of exposure, but the con of that is also we're doing things that most general dentists I know won't do. Um, like. I'm opening video in a patient of mine. That's something that a prosthodontist does. Like, I don't know a general dentist willing to sit there and open video in a patient. Yet my little self as a third year is having to figure that out just like on the fly. And that's just kind of a lot sometimes. Like we end up really stressed out about clinic as the con of it, because it's, it is one of those things where you're like, okay, I'm yanking this too many teeth in a person. I have to figure out what an immediate denture looks like. Then I have to reline and rebase it and then deliver the final dentures. And it's like, maybe other schools may not be making their students do those things. Um, and I always warn people coming to Temple that if you are trying to specialize, this may not be the school for you because it is hard to do well at Temple. Like they make it a point where a lot of, if your specialties look at GPA and it is hard to get the like caliber and quality of GPA that you need to. Again, our, we have the same way of points. Certain things are worth certain points. Our restorative points this year to get an A in restorative is 875. Um, for reference, a filling is about two to five points. A crown prep, a little bit more, a crown delivery, dentures, they all count in towards that. They're about 20 points. But to do 875 points, you are basically saying that you have to be in there, you have to be lucky and you have to be good. Um, and your patients have to be willing to pay for things. Um, so it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, now you have potentially B or a C on your transcript. Residencies may not like that. So I always warn students where I'm like, have an inkling of whether you want to specialize or not before you get into Temple. It is really great for oral surgery and peds, however, because we do have an in-house residency in endo. We have an in-house residency for endo, but and perio, actually, we have all of the specialties in that capacity, but, and I think we're opening cross, but the peds department really like nurtures the peds students here. Like if you want to be peds, Temple peds took two students. They took two students the year before that um, from the class. So peds, the exposure, they understand what you're going through and they kind of like know you as a person at that point. Same thing with oral surgery. Um, I think Temple takes one or you, it's not like an auto acceptance, but we had one kid from the year above us match into oral surgery at Temple. And then one more who's doing the intern year um, at Temple to hopefully match well as well next year. So I would say oral surgery and peds, we, our kids match pretty well. These are also kids that do, have done really well in school. Yeah. It's so hard to balance that doing well in your general clinic grade because you have to be there and working so hard, but then they want to be in the specialty clinics learning and observing too. And we don't get a lot of credits or sometimes no credits for being in those clinics towards graduation. So I feel for the people that want to specialize. Plus like they might be studying for another exam to do their application and everything. So it's a lot. I'm 
glad that I can just focus on the general dentistry and learning as much as possible. Yeah. I think there's no like dream school in terms of the way clinic looks. I think just being aware of where you're going is like a big thing. Um, like, and also like tuition plays a factor. Um, Temple accepts a lot of out of state kids every year. Um, so it's one of those things where I knew what I was getting into in terms of clinic. Like I had a friend who went there, um, her fiance, well now husband, um, went to one of the Texas schools. Um, and they were comparing them to me and they were saying like both like Texas is a little bit A&M in question was a little bit less clinically heavy, but like more depth. And then Temple just she she he did an AGD because he wanted to do implants. And then she um, just went straight into the workforce. And she was like, I didn't have a problem at all. Um, she was like, I had to get faster. But other than that, I was fine. And I was like, oh, that's really kind of good to know where it's like, if I do want to go straight into the workforce right now, I am thinking about doing the GPR and AGD because I would like to practice, hopefully go to New York. Um, if I move back to Texas, I probably won't. Um, but it's one of those things where knowing that we're a little bit prepared when we graduate does like comfort me, but at the same time, talk to me in like two weeks when I'm neck deep in procedures because it is hard. It is hard doing things where, you know, other schools are referring or that you as a general dentist would refer. Um, like I think oral surgery, my like third rotation and they're like, and you're going to learn how to go surgical. And I was like, okay, like, here we go. And so there is a lot of trial by fire at Temple where you just are, you should know your stuff um, and then be prepared to have to use that stuff. Um, like I never thought I'd be able to use a surgical drill. Um, I think it was the time right after that I had to like learn how to do an alveoplasty and like I knew how to do an alveoplasty, but doing an alveoplasty looks completely different. Um, luckily they'll like pair us up with a fourth year at that point. They'll like throw a fourth year in because most fourth years have done those things several times at that point. Um, or they'll have like the intern look over us. So we have guidance, but we are expected to do it. So that's yeah. cool. It's cool that we are expected to do it, but it's also really stressful because I don't sure. know if, if I would refer if I had <laughs> a patient who needed an alveoplasty, like I'm not shaving someone's mandible off in my office. Yeah, no, I do get that. I think that's awesome though. I obviously wish that I had like anytime things got complicated, even on our oral surgery rotation, the resident would come in and do the surgical extraction. Cause I go, but needs to be surgical back up and then they'd finish it. So I, as you were saying earlier in this episode, like being challenged is exactly what you want while you're in school, when you have all those people there to help you and teach you. So same thing when things go bad in clinic, I try to just remind myself that, well, I'd rather have it go bad here than in a couple of years when I'm alone. And now I know how to handle it. So I totally, totally see what you're saying. Um, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you about in terms of how Temple works before we kind of wrap up here. Sure. So do you all get any like external clinic time? Like, do you go in other clinics around Philly or around the country? I know a lot of programs do that. We do. I think we're supposed to rotate out. Um, like I, that's more of a senior year thing. That's like a requirement for senior year, not so much junior year. Um, they have like five, I want to say clinics that you can rotate out into for community outreach. And that is a requirement for us to graduate that we do community outreach. And then they also, also recommend that we do one externship. That's not a requirement. That's just like a recommendation. Interesting. Yeah. So we 
do also fourth year. It's four weeks a semester that you're gone oh, wow. and you're at a real office and you're working like a dentist, which is really nice. And I think that's the great part of Michigan's clinics. Yeah, that's that we really that cool. Because none of the stuff you do in that clinic count to- counts towards your graduation requirements, your requirements at the dental school. It's just you get what you get there. And if the dentists in charge are cool with you doing it, you might do endo there. You might do surgical extractions. You might do more complicated things. So that's really luck of the draw. But when you're on those external rotations, you're the dentist, you're seeing a column of patients and doing hygiene checks at most of the clinics. And it's running like a real office. You don't have to get your prep checked before you fill it. You can just work as long as you don't have questions. So that's 12 weeks total fourth year. And there are different like federally qualified health centers around Michigan, or you might be on like a native American reservation, something like that. So I've heard from most people that's where they feel like, okay, now I'm competent to graduate. Nothing because of our school clinics, but because of the external program. So that's like our saving grace. I would say that I'm looking forward to for next year. Wait, that's amazing. I feel like that's so beneficial. Cause like I don't know, like, I don't know how it would look like looking at a patient, looking at a hygiene check, like you're getting like a sample of what the real world of dentistry looks like. Like, that's really, really cool that they like put you guys in that shoes as as, like a fourth year for four weeks at a time. I think it was just like five days total. Um, So like much, much lower um, in terms of that, but that is incredible. I'm sure the fourth year feels so much more ready to graduate because it's like, yeah, I know, you know, the flow of a dental office intimately at that point, 12 weeks that's three months. Like that's not a small amount of time to be in there. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really substantial amount of time. That's really, yeah. really cool. That Michigan yeah, so does. I'd say that's our, that's our like, yay, we're doing something good. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, every dental school has its like pros and cons in that capacity. There's no perfect dental school. Anyone who's trying to find one is going to fail. Um, but that's a really, really, I, I don't think I've heard of a single other dental school doing that. Like that's really, really cool to that, to that level. Yeah, exactly what you said. No school's perfect. And if someone's trying to say that there's nothing wrong with their school, it's probably a red flag. <laughs> so um, we talked a lot. I don't want to make the episode too long. I want to thank no. you for everything that you shared. And I love to give guests a chance just to give like a final closing thoughts, final words of wisdom for people listening. Sure. Um, the final takeaway I think would be is even in, in your pre-dental and dental journeys, um, challenge things are not going to go according to your plan and that's just the way like life is I want to say outside of dental school too haven't gotten there but I'm sure it is um and I think having a backup plan and having faith in yourself are two things that you can't be taught that you just have to kind of innately learn about yourself and understanding that this is a journey this is a process and that all of it is a learning process whether you didn't get in the first time whether you did get in the first time your journeys in dental school will still be different and it's one of those things to take the opportunity to learn and grow instead of viewing it as a setback and that's just going to benefit you both pre-dentally and in dental school everything that we go through is a learning experience and you're just going to come out stronger for it very well said thank you yeah, of so course. If people have questions for you or about Temple, how can they reach out? So they are more than welcome to DM me on my Instagram. It's bite-sized shivs, um, spelled exactly like it sounds. Bite-sized is the way that you say it. And then shivs is spelled S-H-I-V-S. They're more than welcome to DM me. I'm pretty active on my Instagram. 
Um, I respond to a bunch of people. A lot of people reach out to me for this application cycle, and I'm more than happy to help out in any way that I can. I think that the growing community of all of us on Instagram reaching out virtually is a resource that everyone should be utilizing. Awesome. Thank you so much. Of course. Have a good one.